Hey everybody, the con artists here. We're all together to talk about our uh, what we watched for the summer 2021 core. Uh, so hopefully this will be way shorter than spring. Uh, <laughs> I think that was an explosion of shows. Let's see how we did this time around. All right, so we are all together. There's me, Sue, Scott. Hello. Dan. Hey there. And Brendan. Hello. Hooray. All right, so let's let's jump right in and talk about a show called Kageki Shoujo. Yes. Um, I like read yes. Strongest of the season, practically. Yes, yes. This is the highlight of, of my season. I was really looking forward to each episode. You know, you read the synopsis, and it, it really it makes it sound super generic, but... I uh, got into it and it was it was fantastic. So I guess just as a quick synopsis, there is a prestigious all women's school called Coca Academy, and uh, it's I guess how would you describe it? I kind of think of it like Broadway. It's it's like a school to train young women for Broadway. It but in an all all women acting group. Yeah, it's all women, and also like they they graduate to become members of an acting troupe that is linked directly to the school like which is you know different than how broadway works of course correct yeah yeah exactly so it's basically like takarazuka is that right yeah i think that's what the name of the actual real life like review yes that sounds that sounds correct yep so yeah so these young women get into this school and it's about the trials and tribulations of of being a student at at coca and, you know, what's funny is I, I use that as a synopsis, but that's not entirely what it is. And I think the fact that it really subverts a lot of that is what made it so special and, and wonderful. So each woman we meet in this, I guess we're in the 100th class, right, uh, has, a, has a gift and has a weakness, you know, in terms of, of being uh, a member of the acting troupe. They, they really all feel like characters. They all have backstories. They all have fleshed out lives. Um I love that each of the girls got a moment in the sun, right? It gave a lot of context to why each of them is here and and why their personalities are important to the school and what they bring to to different characters. Uh, The show isn't shy about showcasing some of the hard things about, you know, getting into the performing arts, things like gender barriered activities, sexual assault, eating disorders, the pressure of being a legacy player, you know, like my grandmother and my mother were coca mm, actresses. Totally. I have to be one too. Uh, kind of discussing all of those pieces. Uh, yeah, I, I, pro- I really loved this show. Every inch of this show. Artistically, I think it looks beautiful. Uh, oh, it, sometimes yeah. it has this almost like soft pastel type thing. And going on, it's not a very complicated art style, but it is always consistent. And Scott, you can correct me if you remember a moment it wasn't, but I really felt like it was consistent all the way through. And oh my goodness, those ender pieces of art. So in the endings, they don't actually change the art sometimes. And it was reflective of like the characters that were really important. Uh, They had like one main ending art sequence, and then they'd sort of crop it to give you different endings and add some really impressive pieces of art for that were character specific it's just beautiful like they they look gorgeous and like you would want them on your wall so yeah sort of like sort of like imagines imagines like the whoever the important character that episode or pair of characters is as like what they would look like on stage in full outfits and they they really are gorgeous 
really, really beautiful. So yeah, I want to say a little more about what I loved about what the show was presenting. I guess, Scott, I want to give you a little minute in case you wanted to add anything or, or subtract anything from what I've said already. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, if we turn to the ending theme, how good it looks. I, I don't think I noticed anything in which, like, the quality was bad. In fact, I almost want to say, like, the second to last episode, like, it almost like was like they put extra time in to make it look even better. Yeah, yeah. I I, I agree with that. Yeah, and I also think it had a good balance of character drama and actual, like, acting stuff. Uh, like, when the instructors at the school give a critique of a you know character's acting style it feels valid like from having watched them and listening to the critique you're like yeah all right i get that i you know i feel like in a lot of shows like this the, the whoever the instructor will say here's why and you'll be like well i didn't really get that from it but okay like I'll, i understand that it's a show and you can't really represent everything but but these ones you could really tell and i think that's to the show's credit I agree. I agree. Um, I loved watching the girls just figure out their method of getting into character. The There wasn't a, a massive variety in terms of the type of the acting for the pieces they did. It was pretty heavily focused on Romeo and Juliet by the time we really got them into getting on stage, so to speak. Um, but, the, you know, this concept of like, what does it mean to be X? Because to me, the, the thrill of art, right? is that it's done by humans who come with this pre-built set of emotions and culture and all these different elements, right? And and getting a character we know and love but put into a package that's a complete mystery is like this absolute thrill for for me. I really love Broadway and I just it, it's so much fun to watch different actors and actresses take on the roles of, of these characters we know from these Broadway shows, right? Each each one brings a little something special to the table and it's it's neat to talk to other people and be like, oh yeah, I had, you know, so-and-so as Elphaba and I had so-and-so as, as Elphaba and it, it's neat to compare and contrast the way those ladies portray that, that character. So just... Yeah, like Scott said, it felt it felt a little more realistic. It felt like, you know, what are these girls going through that helps them get into the role of something you're so familiar with, like a Juliet, right? What does it mean to be Juliet? What is Juliet really like? And how are you going, what type of Juliet are you going to be? And I think getting to, to the moment where they pick, you know, a final Juliet at the end was really moving. So I loved it. Every inch of the show. Fantastic. Uh, I have a little note here that I guess if, if you were all in for only Sarasa, like, it might be a put-off that she's not the only main character. I don't know why, because every character is fantastic. But, I don't know, I guess it might be a thing if you were really, really gunning for just her and her growth arc. Because actually her growth arc doesn't have a very large derivative, just speaking in engineering speak. Um, and, and that didn't matter. I mean, I laughed, I felt sad, I wanted to spend more time here in this world with these girls in this school, like, I really felt like this pushed shoujo forward a bit, like, these weren't, these girls weren't tropes, they were people, and I want to know more about them. Like, 100% on the watch this show list. Like, if you didn't catch it this season, go, go back. It's great. Yeah, for my part, I think, not that I'm, like, 100% gunning for Sarasa, uh, I think the only... The only episode that kind of felt like a miss for me was the one with, uh, and I forget her name. She was kind of like the stuck-up girl, like not the class president, but the other yeah, one. Yeah, Kaoru. And she had this backstory that was like, she's basically the legacy character, I think, 
and there's a lot of pressure on her, but she's like, no, I want to do it for me. I don't want to do it because I'm a legacy. Uh, and they kind of explored that, but I felt like it never, I don't know. It never came back in a way that felt meaningful for the rest of the show. Like the twins, for instance, got an episode and then the stuff that happened in their episode carried forward and had meaning for the rest of the show. And when they wanted to go do something, you're like, oh, I see how what they learned in that episode, you know, colored what they do. I didn't really get that from her. And maybe it's because they're obviously planning on more seasons. But in this show, this season alone, I felt like it never really came up again. That's fair. I think it really just gave an underlying bedrock so that she wasn't just mean girl. That's true. It, it, it helped you understand why she is who she is. But like what I want to see explored is actual mean girl from the 99th class. Like, yes, that's who I want yes. more on. Dang it. Agreed. Agreed. I guess, uh, Brendan, anything you want to add? Um, let's see. I felt like there was a, they did a couple of episodes in a row where, uh, oh, and I'm blanking on her name, the blue haired girl, like, the, I, this, like her, the roommate. Yeah. I, um, like would, would go up to somebody and like give them perspective from what she learned while she was at the idol troop or like people that she had interacted with previously. And also the, uh, the other, like the, the short, like the bob cut girl who is the uh the singer mm. she had a good episode but i feel like it wasn't long enough like they they tried to wrap up the uh the her sort of like mini arc and like it didn't it didn't feel like it came all the way back together by the time they had the ending of that one but definitely points for for trying uh like and they, they did hit a lot of the uh a lot of important notes there mm. pun you intended know, I- yeah, liter- literally, because she's the singer. Nice. Yeah, the singer. I definitely agree with what you said. What you mean about like Bob Cut Girl? Like it kind of felt almost too neat compared to, I don't know, some of the messy things they dealt with in other episodes. Like they set it up like they were going to resolve it, but then we never actually saw how. Well, it was it was weird, right? Because she was the one with like the eating disorder, and they sort of resolved it with like, well, why don't you find out what made you want to join theater in the first place? And she's like, I guess you're right. I just wasn't whatever trying hard enough like they never resolved the eating disorder or the need to become thin to be a person who can be on stage it was just sort of like oh if you just try harder it'll all work out i think it was supposed to be remember what makes you special and what got you in and so she starts to i agree it's not clean but i think the idea was she starts to leverage the fact that her voice is gorgeous as important right because i think she feels like she doesn't possess a lot of the other elements the other girls have Mm. like confidence and beauty and her weight right which is fine but you know yeah and it's true actually they do leverage her they do leverage her voice later i mean when she did her like singing version of romeo and juliet i was like wow this is incredible like is this an actual like treatment of romeo and juliet that exists somewhere because if not these show writers are knocking it out of the park yeah, that was that was stunning. Like when she really gets her, yeah, her moment. Ooh. It was great. So good. So good. But yeah, I agree. It's not the cleanest thing and the message got, you know, sort of muddy. I think it's it's not the the love and care they gave to somebody like I, right, who's the fact that she was a victim of sexual assault really like is weaved into her character and watching her grow and progress and the subtle ways they do that is is very important, but I think the the message under the hood was was remember that you also possess a gift remember that you are mm. not here by charity 
That's true. And that is a good message. Yeah, we didn't pick you, you know, because we just needed another person in the slot. You were picked out of the thousands of girls who applied here. You have a gift and that gift is yours and yours alone. So leverage that gift. So that was the message. And, and I got it, but I agree that it wasn't maybe the clearest thing. Yeah. Other than that, just uh, don't go in expecting uh, Shoujo Kageki review Starlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's not it, that. It's, it's much more grounded and is a different kind of, of excellence. Yeah, definitely. And also I think Brendan made a good point. Another cool thing that I liked was of course the the focus here is the like review style of theater. But we also look at, you know, I brings an idle perspective and like the insights she has seem relevant. And also like Sarasa brings a kabuki perspective, which is all they also contrast with how review works. And I thought that was really interesting too. Like clearly these are people that really know different kinds of theater and like public facing entertainment and how to like how they all play off each other and what the strengths of each type are. So true. It's so good. Watch it. Yeah, I know. At this point, you're practically given like a, a full length rolling review length for uh, for Kinkaki Shoujo, but it deserves I know. it. Yeah, recommend, recommended. All right, bueno, before I gush more, who's who's next? Somebody take over. I'll go next uh, for the Reincarnated as a Slime Season 2 Part 2, which is a lot of subdivisions. Uh, I mean, for those who've been watching the show, it's still that show. It still looks great. Uh, I'm not going to like go into the details because at this point you're either in or you aren't, you're not like, you know, four cores in. Uh, I did like the, the opening theme this season was awesome. Like definitely going to be an addition to my, my playlist. Uh, the show is still both fun and like cool looking. Like it has some really, you know, really neat visuals and so on where people are, are fighting. Uh, the cons, it still has the same con as always, which is the problem that like nothing is ever really a challenge like nothing ever feels like it's really menacing uh like last season i think did a much better job or that last whatever part of the current season did this way better this season was kind of back to nothing feels like a challenge like and anything they do build up as a challenge inevitably turns out to be a minor inconvenience or less uh it feels worse this season because in this case it is the final confrontation with like the major multi-season villain uh, and it just does not land as being a challenge at all. Like, they practically put him down in between comedy bouts. And I was like, are you sure that's how you wanted to end this season? Uh, I guess it just doesn't know when to let the humor take a back seat and, like, go for action and drama for a bit. Especially when you've had this guy built up as, like, a fairly bad villainous person. But overall, like, yeah, if you're in for the ride in the show, it's still doing what it does well. So recommended in that sense. Uh, unless you guys want to know more, let's uh, move on to the next one. Sure, I can uh, move us forward. Uh, so this one, uh, we talked about kind of playing it a little fast and loose with the whole anime thing uh, when it comes to stuff like the Dota anime and whatnot before. Uh, but this one I feel is a little bit more uh, legit, and that is Star Wars Visions. Uh, basically, uh, I'm trying to remember, it was released a couple of weeks ago, not too long from long ago from when we were recording this. But uh, essentially, Lucasfilm partnered up with a whole bunch of anime studios in Japan and had them produce a series of shorts uh, based in the Star Wars universe. It's all very loose canon. Some of it takes place in the far future and the far past of the thing. It's really, you know, it's Star Wars. It's really irrelevant what time frame it's happening in. And as far as I can tell, I think the majority of the characters are not from the series. I think Jabba the Hutt appears and there's a couple of others uh, that 
you know, are mentioned or make appearances, but the majority of it takes place outside of the, the movie's timeline, at least. They're all self-contained. They're, uh, so there's a pretty wide variety of stories, but they're all focused around Jedi, which normally I find kind of the most boring part of Star Wars, but um, there's a few of these that are really solid. Uh, the first one in particular and the last one are all are both uh, really good. I can't remember how many there are. There's like eight or nine, but um, they're all worth watching. Uh, some are stronger than others, and it's nice to see the different studios' takes on the material, both in terms of how they write the characters and the setting, and how they handle the visuals. Uh, there's stuff that looks like, you know, more modern take on, like, the Astro Boy style. There's some very, oh, cool. very Studio Trigger stuff going on at one point. Uh, but there's another one that's done by Trigger that doesn't look anything like the style you're used to from them. So I'm not sure who they got in on uh, character art for that one, but it was uh, really that one was also really neat. Um, and they do a lot of things about the interplay between the Jedi and the Sith and uh, their perspectives. And there's a couple of you know little surprises here or there. I don't think it's going to blow anyone's mind in terms of storytelling, but in terms of just really cool visuals in the Star Wars universe, you can certainly do a lot worse. So it's a fun thing, you know. Pop it on and uh, you know find your favorites. They're uh, they're a lot of they're a lot of fun, even if they're you know again. I think they they start at like ten minutes, and then I think the longest one is maybe twenty. So the whole thing you can polish off in an afternoon if you really feel like it, or just you know watch a couple a day and uh, work your way through, see how you feel. But uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Some really great background art here and there, and generally really good music as well. Oh, neat. So I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit here, Dan. Uh, which of these, which of the episodes do you feel like felt the most classically Star Wars and which felt the most like completely out of left field? The most completely out of left field had to be the one of, with the twins. Uh, there's one where there's two twin Sith or Sith adjacent ones because it was basically, it, if someone said Star Wars, but make it anime, this is what you would make. <laughs> like oh, it, is, no. it is bananas. <laughs> It is uh, very Kill La Kill-esque, which I don't know how it jibes with uh, the aesthetic of Star Wars. There's, uh, I will also recommend watching it in the original Japanese. The, um, the English voice acting is just, it's not the worst, but it doesn't fit what's going on on screen very well. Uh, I feel like you're honestly better off with, uh, with, the, Japanese, with the Japanese voices and the subtitles. Uh, though there's some weird sync up. So with that, I think that uh, they may have changed the timing of some of the audio. And so that feels a bit weird. But anyway, that's a tangent. Um, that one definitely feels like the the least traditionally Star Wars. Maybe that or the one involving the band. Those are the two that are definitely the furthest away from what you would expect. <laughs> I don't want any more details because I'm loving this like vague, the one with the twins. Because it's basically anime plus Star Wars. My mind is going ballistic. Also, the one with the band. Just like, just <laughs> mic, mic drop right there, Dan. Don't go any further. Just the one with the band to just move on. Because <laughs> my yeah. mind is having, having a blast right now. Weirdly enough, that's the one that probably ties in the closest with the actual like established canon and locations. So it's huh. an odd duck, that one. But it's, uh, but it's fun. Um, the one that feels the most like it uh, either the one with the Sabersmith, or oh, cool. there's another one where outside of some very, like, traditional, like, uh, feudal Japanese aesthetic choices, very much feels like it could be 
uh, part of the Star Wars uh, Star Wars universe because it focuses on family and people taking sides and why they decide to uh, take sides uh, with one group or another. There's actually two at the end that feel like that, but um, they're very they're very different. The one with the with the rabbit girl is the one that uh, I was thinking of. They definitely feel closest to the traditional Star Wars formula in terms of storytelling and theme. Um, but again, they're all fun in their own way. Some are stronger than others. Some of the ones that dive more into the like kind of Kurosawa early, uh, or I should say uh, earlier 20th century Japanese cinema stuff has a lot of really cool um, homages and other interesting takes on the material. But uh, yeah, no, they're all fun and uh, worth a look. Cool. So who's up next? Uh, I think we're continuing with some like extended season, like season two, season threes and whatnot, this, uh, this particular core, uh, what's up next? Yeah. They made more, uh, dragon made. Did they oh, now? Yeah. They sure did. And before I like start getting into this, I just want to make sure that, uh, everybody has seen that Tumblr post of a guy saying, Hey, I got an idea for an anime and then just sends like the next six, you know, like phrases being, uh, progressively more ridiculous ways of saying that the main high school girl character has like huge boobs <laughs> and then Uh-oh. when somebody actually calls him out is like well what happens he's like transfer student shows up with even bigger bo- <laughs> <laughs> i could oh, not get like all of anime production ever could not get that post out of my head every time i saw the new character on screen oh lordy uh is when like her human form is uh like a shorter than most of the rest of the characters or at least the other like quasi adult characters but then also just like even more like stacked which is like why <laughs> was this a show that really needed this cuz like i've seen the first season and then i saw the first episode of the second and i was like eh, i don't know about this <laughs> what what is this character doing here Oh my gosh! Like, and you know, for the other for the other well endowed characters, they'll still do the little sound effect whenever they like move in such a way that will jostle their assets. Uh, it's a it's a weird like mixed bag of a show, and I don't know if it feels really different from the first season. A lot of it kind of seems like a logical extension or more of the same. Although there is some fun stuff that happens. Uh, like the new character Ilulu does get like an interesting character backstory. Uh, I don't know why her boobs have to be like as big as her head. Like it, <laughs> it doesn't really factor into how her like character arc like flows in any capacity. It's not part um, of her tragic backstory, right? Right. This exactly. is the part where I play like I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts under <laughs> Brendan's speaking piece. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, they like add her to the fold of of characters after a couple of episodes of. Uh, being in conflict and we just sort of like continue from there we get a couple of interesting elma episodes we get a very good kana episode later on actually i think that was my favorite which is uh as i recall i think in the second half is where she goes to america oh my (laughs) but why though we got a lot of dragons over here in the usa no no uh like there's no there's no other dragons that happened during that uh that particular story arc but it's uh, it was an interesting diversion. So it's still this the same like generally pleasant slice of life with occasional action. Uh, yeah, yeah, you could say that. We get a little bit more uh, 
they try to do much more backstory as far as Elma and Toru's relationship. Uh, and then like at the end, they sort of go into more about uh, what Toru was doing. Uh, the events that led her to this world. Oh, uh, so kind of like the lead up to the first episode of the first season. Okay. Right. Neat. What was I going to say? Yeah. If you can, if you can make it past the, uh, the ponderous memories, uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's some good stuff in there. Oh, good to know. In that case, I'll, uh, I suppose, pick it up from there with, uh, you know, I love me some isekais. And this one is, I, I don't even know its full title because it's it's so long, I never say it, but it's basically cheat drugstore. I mean, it's something like opening a drugstore in another world, but whatever. This is another one in the, like, slow life category of isekais that have recently kind of been coming out, like, basically Iyashike isekai. Uh, it has the usual pros from that type of thing. It's slow moving. It's relaxing. Uh, the characters are cute and fun. Uh, and they just kind of, basically the plot is this guy makes, they keep calling it drugstore, but maybe that's just a, a translation. He basically makes like products. I don't know, like, like skincare or detergents or. It's like an apothecary. He's like an apothecary. Sure. Yeah. Like drugstore isn't quite right. Cause most of it's topically applied. Uh, but some of it is ingested, so it's all it's all kinds of stuff uh, that solves whatever the current problem of the day is. Like, oh, these dishes are really dirty. Da-da, I invented detergent. You know, or you, often for comedy effect, some girl's like, I wish I were stronger. And uh, he's like, you know, basically muscle drink, uh, which like immediately makes her extremely buff. And he's like, I've made a grave error. <laughs> this, is, this is not what I meant. That sounds adorable, though. That kind of stuff. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, there's no stakes at all, which you could consider a good thing or a bad thing, but every episode follows that sort of uh, trajectory. Uh, the animation is honestly nothing special. There's no errors, but there's also no ambition. Uh, it is as as standard as anime can be in the current era. Scott, would you say that the show is for vegetarians because it's stakeless? Ah, uh, I would. I will now. <laughs> Nailed it. And let's see. If I had to say something against it, like the main character is kind of mopey and like a little bit annoying. Sort of like people want to do things, and he's like, I don't want to do things. Uh, but then like eventually goes along with doing things. Uh, and he's also like slightly mean to his employees for seemingly no reason. Like not like mean, mean. Just like I don't know. Somewhere between like it's almost like teasing. It's kind of hard to put a put a pin in, but it was always like, why why are you doing this? Not like abusive, but just like it's like, why are you being so? It was like, why are you why are you being so? Not I don't know. Is petty the right word? It's not petty. Like I'll give. I guess it's hard to put a pin in. So I'm gonna like give an example. So like one of there's there's two employees, a ghost and like a wolf girl who's pretty young, and so he's basically kind of taking care of them and also they work at his store. And the wolf girl likes to eat stuff she finds on the ground. Uh, and he's like, you shouldn't eat things you find on the ground. So he comes up with like a potion that basically gives her a stomach ache or makes it taste super bitter or something. I think it was a stomach ache every time she eats something off the ground. Uh, and so she's like, ah, everything hurts. And he's like, here's the potion, but don't eat anything off the ground because it'll like kick in again. But like without telling her that, hmm. I don't know, it just felt pointlessly mean. Like just tell her what you're doing or stop poisoning her. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a low bar to clear. It does. It was, it was weird stuff like that. So, like, other than that, it was a fine show. Like, it did it did its job. 
Uh, do I recommend it? I don't know. Maybe. Do you like isekais and slow, relaxing slice of life with a little humor? Like, it might be for you. Nothing special, though. Cool. Well, speaking of uh, isekai, uh, we've got uh, a continuation of My Life as a Villainous, which was a pretty fun show from, uh, was it last core or the core before? I forget if there was a break in the seasons. I think there was. I think there's, there was definitely a break. Core before, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we carry on with season two. So season one basically was the conclusion of the story arc in the uh, dating sim that this girl found herself trapped in. Well, not exactly trapped in, but embodying the villainous from it. And, of course, the twist in that one is that because she was such a nice person and, you know, befriended all of the characters, she not only avoided the, like, bad end for her character, but now all of the other characters, instead of being interested in the heroine of the game, are now all interested in her, including the heroine. <laughs> including the heroine. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh my gosh. So now there's like her clueless, cluelessly bumbling around and everyone else like is now kind of upping their game, trying to, uh, you know, trying to take their relationship to the next level. Two of the characters, in fact, by the end of this one have basically made their intentions fully clear. Unfortunately, one of them is her adopted brother, who she's known since they were like five. So that's a little bit weird. In fact, he gets a like three episode arc towards the end, which I felt was kind of unnecessary because like they're just they were basically just inventing backstory for him at a certain point i don't know maybe i'm sorry they gave keith three episodes team sophia baby team sophia yeah really really sophia the book one yeah the the book one at least from season one see i have no season two context but keith is the lowest of the lows no three episodes for keith dan yeah he's the one who got it it was keith Um, oh come on now give it to like the alan 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 is the least problematic one he is the one who is the most straight with her and the most uh and, and probably the best balance for her uh i'll steal the uh the line from ann he is the one true chad so she needs she needs to pick alan that's pretty fair i don't know i've always kind of been pulling for uh either Maria or uh, Mary, mostly because I feel like Mary was the first one to, like, like she has made her intentions clear. It's just that... Uh, <laughs> Aggressively clear. It's, yeah, it's, it's true. It's just that it's uh, Katarina is so, is so slow on the uptake that she doesn't understand. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason the community calls her Baccarina, right? <laughs> like, that's, that's uh, the code name for her, for the people who read the light novel. She is, she is very, very dim. Like, to the point where it gets annoying at certain points. I mean, it's funny now and then, but, like, I feel like that particular joke has kind of overstayed its welcome. And I am I am glad that they are now sort of dealing with her sort of figuring out how other people feel about her. It's just that this feels very much like a middle season. It doesn't really advance too much other than, again, two of the characters finally coming out with how they feel about her. Um... There's, you know, there's little misadventures, they've introduced a few new characters, they have a department of magic, which is sort of like the defense against the dark arts kind of thing, but with, like, magical cell phones at one point. It was odd. Um, Hmm. But, uh, no, the show is still fun. It's kind of like you said with with, uh, Cheat Drugstore or whatever. It's, they try to make their mistakes, but at the end of the day, they don't feel very high, and it's... Just, you know, it's kind of a light, snacky type show that you put on in the background and kind of half pay attention to because you sort of have an idea of where it's all going to go. And it's just there for the occasional, you know, enjoyable comedy bits. Um, mm. You know, it's still fun. I I like the weird, uh, the weird opening uh, theme song. It's this kind of like weird classical thing over spliced with your more traditional anime opening. And it's just 
it's discordant, but kind of funky. I don't know how to describe it. But, uh, yeah, all in all, still fun. If you like the first season, you know, you'll get more of the same. It's probably not gonna, you know, it's not gonna make anyone, like, a super fan overnight. But it's a, it was a, it was enjoyable. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. I didn't need any more after season one, but I'm glad, I'm glad you liked it. And it was, you know, fun snack food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly that. It's kind of take it or leave it. Rockin'. Nice. Who's next? Uh, next I'll go with, uh, Sunny Boy, which was definitely, like, a... They're definitely a weird one. Like the the pitch is a class full of kids numbering 36, but don't worry, most of them don't matter. Get, it's not even isekai. They're just like suddenly in a different, like their whole school basically falls into an alternate dimension with them in it. Uh, and then they need, and then that that's kind of it. Then they get to figure out what to do for themselves. Also, all of them have superpowers now. Don't only half of them have it? Um, do, the, it, it do the other half develop it later? Uh, the other half have been hiding them, but like it very quickly comes out that pretty much everyone has some kind of superpower. Uh, and like you say, each person has like one. Uh, let's see, what do I, the good about it, like the animation is very good. Uh, this is animation that really gets into how people move. Like it doesn't look like anime. It looks like animation. Like I guess the distinction that what's her name from uh, Izokin would have would have drawn. Like, you can tell they really put the time into, like, how they are doing these actions. It doesn't necessarily look pretty, but if you're a fan of how animation, like, is supposed to look, this is good stuff. Uh, the ending theme song is excellent. There isn't even an opening theme song, so they're definitely uh, playing things different. And I would say that the plot of the show kind of keeps you unbalanced, but, like, in a good way. Like, I didn't feel frustrated while trying to figure out what's going on. Instead, it felt interesting and kept me engaged trying to figure out what's going on. And there's a lot that is going on. Like every episode, it feels like what the characters are trying to accomplish changes. Like early on, they're figuring out the rules of the new world they're in. Then you think there's going to be kind of this like social battle kind of between the student council president and the main characters to like sway the other students. Then it becomes about exploring multiple worlds and maybe solving their problems. And then, like, if it's, like, becomes, like, very philosophical and looking at, like, different parts of being human, like, it's ever-shifting. It's impossible to define what the show is really about. At least I couldn't. It's clearly a passion project, and the passion, like, shows. Uh, so there's a lot of, of good there. But in terms of the cons, like, they sort of come along with what I just said. There's no consistency in the plot. You'll often be left wondering what you just saw or, or why or how it plays into anything else. Even now, I don't really understand the purpose of multiple characters that were in the show. Like some of them were like, this guy's an example of some philosophical thing we want to explore. But other characters, I just have no idea why they were there. And like, you know, they got an odd amount of screen time. Hmm. Do I recommend it? Like, it's a tough one. If you like animation for its own sake, uh, like, yeah, look at this one. It's cool. If you like being disoriented and trying to figure out like the rules of a bizarre new world, or in this case, multiple bizarre new worlds, uh, it could be good. But the average person or just a person looking for like a plot that makes any sense may be put off uh, pretty quickly. Fascinating. Yeah. It might be worth checking out, at least for the art. Yeah, it's it's neat stuff. Sweet deals. Mm. and fine items all right so dan kind of was like oh we have some seasons two season threes how about some season fives kids Whoa. uh this is the second half of my hero academia season five 
So the best way I can describe this season after seeing the whole thing now is dichotomous. That's my word of word of the day. The first half was really about, you know, Izuku learning about his new evolving powers and focusing on Todoroki's family, giving that context behind Endeavor. The second half was meeting the Metahuman Liberation Army, which I will now shorten to MLA, not to be confused with MHA, which is the shortening of the title. Um, and exploring the, the League of Villains, which, you know, we had previously been our main antagonists. Uh, these halves are glued together by this background plot of one of the lead uh, professional heroes called Hawks infiltrating the League of Villains because he's heard rumors about this, you know, meta liberation army. Uh, we get Shigaraki's backstory, which is way more violent than anything I feel like the show has given to us thus far. Like, there have been people with quirks, who, you know, which rely on harming others, but... I think this is probably the most violent thing the show has thrown in to date. And it almost, it almost was a bit much, honestly, oh, yeah. given, given the way like the show has progressed thus far. I was a little off put. Yeah, it, so it was, it was a lot. I, I was kind of joking with Scott one evening when I was telling him about it. And I'm like, I think his editor, you know, the manga's editor was like, we need to up the, up the ante, kill a dog, you know? Do, do that and then <laughs> you know it's, it's very violent it really is um the league of villains gets more context around them like i said the second half is very heavy on them they aren't just nameless goons but to tell you the truth the show has such cast bloat to begin with i i can't tell you much about most of them outside of like one or two uh, uh even now even given that you know this this chunk of screen time um, Dan, I'll be interested in your take after mine, but this show just kills me because it introduces such interesting concepts, which I don't want to waste a ton of time on now because we've already, you know, yacked a lot for this season, but it, it introduces these concepts and it throws them all away because of its desperate desire to what I'll call hide under the shonen banner or the shonen blanket. It's like, oh, I've tossed these interesting concepts into the center and then it's like, oh, too interesting. Pull back, pull back. We can't possibly like, you know, we can't possibly have all that much and deviate that hard, you know, off, off course. You know, things like we learn about like anarchy with the MLA. Uh, you know, the, the quirks, I think I mentioned very early when I first talked about My Hero, are regulated by the government, effectively. You have to, when your quirk appears, you have to, like, register with the government so they know what your quirk is, they know what it entails, and if it ever evolves or changes, you have to go re-register it so that there's a constant record of, of what you're capable of. <clears throat> and if you think about it, there's a massive loss of personal freedom right with with that with the government regulating your powers and the mla's belief is like we won't know what freedom truly is unless we stretch the boundary of our our quirks you know we're just putting this little box and the government is stifling our they don't even call them quirks they say they are metahuman abilities and they're they're stopping evolution they're stopping progress right so we were really gearing up for this interesting battle of like societal structure, right? Like Izuku and, and the heroes being very heavily in a structure, not just school, but the idea of how heroes are regulated in general versus this like freedom born of, of anarchy, which has its own appeal to it, right? So these two sides had really interesting pieces that just gets fucking thrown out 
for, you know, Shigaraki to take over. There's, like, this massive battle. And, like, if you thought it was bad that Izuku's powers were evolving, Shigaraki's evolves in a way that I was just, like, the shonen bat was beating me over the head (laughs) so hard. I was like, this is such BS. Yeah, I I really didn't like it. And pers- I didn't like this latter half. It felt like this awful setup to put Shigaraki in charge of a bigger group of people so that the threat feels larger. But it's so forced and it comes at such a cost to these concepts that my hero's world is so well realized. I want you to explore those things, right? Like, I want to know what happens when a child's quirk turns out to be something very dangerous, like... Everything I touch decays, including organic matter. What does the government do with that? And instead, it's just like, no, 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 no. We can't possibly like expand our world. We have shonen tropes to to bathe in over here. So, I didn't, I didn't like this season. It it feels way too shoneny and throws out everything that could have made it interesting. Mm, I tend to agree with most of the points you raised, especially when it came to, like, cast bloat. Like, frankly, the villains for me, other than a couple of them, are not interesting enough for me to want to pursue. Uh, Shigaraki, in particular, is, like... He's the worst, I didn't, right? I didn't like, need a backstory oh. for him. He's an, ang- he's an angsty late teen who wants to destroy everything because he had a bad childhood, and while there is more nuance to it than that, it basically all boils down to that. Um, and... It does get needlessly violent when we, you know, see his background. Like I was, I was kind of iffy in season four when you had that one uh, dude with his, you know, with his powers and how like they were basically like all but killing and reviving this child multiple times. But like that's implied. You never actually really see what's going on in this. Like there is some. There is some genuinely violent and disturbing content in there that really feels at odds with uh, the rest of the show where it's like, okay, yes, we are going to deal with some of the more serious or less glamorous aspects of being a hero and whatnot, but it's still operating off of, you know, kind of comic book logic. And, you know, no one ever gets so badly hurt that unless they, you know, die in some kind of heroic sacrifice, it's not really it's not really counted as, you know, this dark and gritty stuff, and this really doesn't feel like it belongs in the same show. And I guess because we were focusing on the villains, they decided they had to, as you said, sort of feel like they upped the stakes. Um, So, yeah, I was very uncomfortable with that. I also agree that this does feel very much like trying to set up a bigger conflict, um, but it doesn't feel very organic. It doesn't feel like characters are doing this naturally. In fact, like, this situation is literally forced by other characters to happen in the way that it does. So rather than getting an interesting philosophical debate between the heroes and the villains, it's between two groups of heroes, one of whom has a philosophy, and the other of whom really is just there to watch the world burn. And it really doesn't... It doesn't feel like a... It, it, everyone says that conflict is supposed to be a conversation, whether it's, you know, a fist fight in the movie or you know, a war between two groups. And it never feels like that's something that the show writers cared about. They only cared about, you know, let us now smash these two opposing forces together and see what happens. And it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't have the depth or interesting uh, character interactions to make that worthwhile. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just... It, there's still stuff to like about the show, you know, when the action is good, it's good, when 
you know, you have some interesting things going on with Hawks and the first half of the season with Endeavor was, was yes, really was interesting. Good. I agree. But this one just kind of squandered a lot of it, a lot of that buildup and doesn't feel as well realized. So, I mean, I'm going to keep watching it at this point. We're pretty much invested until the end. So unless they're going to really drag this out past the, past the next season, I'm, I'm still in on it. But this is not a season to jump in on. Uh, like it's the it's definitely the weakest season so far in my opinion. Yep, I could not agree more. So I mean, you're in, you're in at this point. Let's just go, but not not the show's strongest effort. Very true. You got something else? Yeah, uh, Brendan, you want to pick up with Jahi? Um, right. So a show that is halfway in the middle of uh, airing right now is Jahi Sabah will not be discouraged. I think. I forget exactly what the translation of the main title is. Yeah, I've seen multiple translations like the great Jahi Sama shall not be defeated, I've heard as well. Right. Uh, and all right, the setup for this show is that so there's the Dark Realm or presumably Makai. I actually don't know if I paid enough attention when they've ever actually talked about it. And it's, I guess, run by uh, this uh, this the second in command and they always they actually say number two in <laughs> english every time they like call out jahi's like original rank in the demon world um but she was caught off guard and the sort of like crystal that holds the world together was shattered and like everything fell into our world like the crystal was also how jahi like maintains her adult appearance and with without it she's just like appears to be a small child with all the strength that that would imply and all the strength that, that would apply uh and sort of like the show picks up with her like renting a tiny room in a tiny apartment and like at night like using the one shard of the magic crystal that she still has to like turn back into an adult and do shifts at the, a nearby bar <laughs> and in her off hours, try to recover the rest of the shards so that they, she can put the big crystal back together and restore the Dark Realm, which I think is the text that's on her little t-shirt that she wears. I think it is just restore the Dark Realm is on her t-shirt. Yeah. Right, right. That implies she had someone make that for her. Yeah, right. It's where really unclear that? where that came from. Um, and it's, it's comedy. Uh, comedy of errors in many ways <laughs> it's not entirely on my wavelength or like not all of it is just because the uh, almost everybody in the show is just so pathetic <laughs> it's just like tragedy after tragedy <laughs> yeah like granted minor comedic tragedies but still often yeah yeah mostly it's uh actually when scott first described it to me brendan i was like that sounds really mean like, <laughs> it, it did not sound like a pleasant show i would say that like and i'll go into the the pros in a bit like yes the 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 one major con it does have is there's a little too much like beat up on the cute anger girl and then wallow in her powerless misery <clears throat> for me like that does appear to be like a core aspect of the show and like it's a little too much, but it is balanced by many pros, I guess. I don't know what you thought there, Brennan. Like, she'll go into the mountains armed with a backpack full of stuff and then, like, almost immediately trip and lose a, a lot of it down the ravine. And she's like, no, I spent so, like, such a large fraction of my paycheck on this stuff. And it's just, ah. Uh... 
Yeah, well, because I mean, a big part of the, I guess, the show's comedy comes from, she's like, ha, these stupid humans. As soon as I get this crystal back, I'm going to beat them all up. I'm better than all of them. And, like, the next thing that happens is she trips and loses all of her stuff. And she's like, no, why? And then, like, humans have to help her. And she's like, uh, I hate this. I hate every second of this. <laughs> so it's basically, like, you know, makes a big claim, immediate comeuppance is sort of, like, the theme of the show. Possibly my favorite instance of that so far is in a recent episode where she booby traps her apartment. And then, like, after waiting for a while and then, like, nothing happens, uh, she's like, oh, I should probably go get something to eat. And she, like, walks towards the trap and realizes what is going to happen. And then is like... And then, like, goes around to the other side of the apartment and, like, walks towards the trap and realizes what is going to happen. And there's a really good beat right after that where it's like, "Uh uh-huh. I see. (laughs) 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 But I think you hit the nail on the head with the uh, the standard, like, progression of uh, of most of the, uh, the plot interactions there. Like, she's, at the end of the day, she's still, like, I hate this place and I want to be back on top. Yeah. Right. Which is not made better by like other people, like many other denizens of the demon realm have come over to earth with her. And most of them are doing better than her. Well, <laughs> which, like how many of them did we really see though? Like Druge is definitely doing better, but like Sorvi is almost doing worse. It's a weird it's matter of perspective. On Sorvi. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't think anyone looks as if they're as bad off as Jahi is, I guess. Like Jahi is like, there's an entire ending sequence where she has like Jahi's cooking show. And it's just like three or four or five different ways to prepare bean sprouts using only like salt. Oh, fry it up with (laughs) a little bit of oil. Yeah, like oil and salt. And like super deluxe like Jahi sprouts like involves putting, you know, Japanese mayonnaise on top. It's like, oh, it's depressing. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but also, like, the humans she meets are all, like, you know, like, the the bar owner in particular is basically an angel on Earth. Like, you know, no one is, like, basically the friends she makes that are humans are quite nice to her. And she's like, uh, I hate accepting this charity. But also, like, you can tell it's working a little bit uh, to, I don't know, make her a better person over time. Uh, sort of seems to be the arc. We'll see. We'll see. As there is 20 episodes of which there are currently only nine out. Uh, no, it just seems like someone who basically starts out at life's lowest ebb and it never seems like it ever gets better. Right, that does seem to be the thing. I mean, it is still funny. It's cute. It looks good, like, surprisingly. Uh, but, yeah, I guess the, the, that's how the show goes. Well, I think, uh, unless you've got anything else to say about it, I think it's time for me to wrap it up with... Uh, not the second season, but the second half of a show that I didn't realize was going to continue as quickly as it did. And that is uh, Tokyo Revengers, which I had the misfortune of starting last uh, season. And I was going to say, I am shocked that you have continued watching this based on your review last time. We wanted, Because there was a pretty significant sea change in what was supposed to be happening uh, at the end of last season, and to their, uh, I don't know if I call it credit, but um, it it seems pretty reliable because it happened this time again that uh, there's a dramatic change at the very end, which is just like, I kind of want to see where they go with this, but I feel like we're getting strung along at this point. Basically the whole concept of this is that there's this guy who's like this 20 something year old loser finds out uh, 
note on the news that his ex-girlfriend from back when he was in high school was killed in an accident involving a gang. And he, through various means, ends up like with the ability to travel back in time to quantum leap back into his 14 or 15 year old self when he's still dating this girl and when this gang is essentially being formed as a whole bunch of like high school delinquents who will eventually go on to become, you know, some sort of criminal empire. And that in and of itself is an interest. It's a perfect example of fascinating premise, interesting mechanics, absolute garbage protagonist. Good idea, bad execution. Oh yeah. Cause like all of this stuff is basically happening around him. And when he manages to affect things, it's usually just by crying well or yelling and like with the emptiest so he's the like ultimate shonen protagonist uh, not that's even, true because like, like cry cry or yell level up <laughs> basically apologies for the dog in the background by the way he seems to have caught wind of something vega doesn't uh... vega doesn't like the protagonist either <laughs> see yeah, he hates yeah. him too um but yeah no it's just like the guy is just so so lame he, he never gets better. He never gets... <laughs> like, he's not good at fighting. He's a wannabe, like, gangster. It's very obvious that he's not good at this from the start. There's a reason that in his original timeline, he quit to stop, to stop this and, you know, got a normal, if kind of dull life. But you'd think it's like, oh, well, he's going to use his knowledge of the future to, like, figure out how to manipulate it. And no, he doesn't do that. Well, maybe he, like, isn't a, he isn't a strong fighter, but maybe he's a clever one and he can figure out ways to, like, set things up to his advantage. No, he doesn't do that. Well, maybe he's actually, like, super charismatic. And even though he's a coward, he's really good at hiding. No, he's not good at that either. It, it, there's nothing positive about him. He's a he's a lech. Uh, but only not in the not in the way where it's like on all the time, but in times where it's just like, dude, this is this is wildly inappropriate. You have a girlfriend like right the hell now. And it's it's again, it's really weird that you're obsessing over uh, over this when your your body is supposed to be 14 right now. There's a lot of weirdness with that. But all in all, it's just he's super unlikable. He's not interesting. He's just so obnoxious and all the more interesting characters around him keep making stupid decisions out of like, you know, honor or obligation or whatever, because there's a bunch of 14 or 15 year olds playing gangster. It's, it's so frustrating because they're trying to make this whole like mystery and dynamic about like, Oh, why are these gangs fighting? Who's manipulating things from behind the scenes? How is this all tied together? And it's like, I just don't care anymore, guys. Your protagonist is so obnoxious that he has drained the life out of everything else about your show. Dan, who is this show for? That is the thing. I do not know. I assume it's for 14 or 15-year-old punks who want to be badass but realize they aren't. And so it's trying to speak to them in the, you know, with a character that is so close to home that it honestly i feel like if, if you were in that situation it'd be super painful you know that noise your brain makes when it tries <laughs> to shut out uh embarrassing memories of when you thought you were really cool but obviously weren't i can imagine that that would be the noise in your head the whole time watching this show if that was any way how you close to how you grew up so, so this I is don't... basically like a like a shaming device made by the japanese government <laughs> maybe that's pretty because... impressive a full core shaming device nice yeah if that's the, if that's the <laughs> plan then core, who knows sorry. it's very yeah it's a very apparently it's a very divisive show amongst people who have seen it i honestly like i just i kind of want to know like where they're going with this it's morbid curiosity at this point and 
if it's just kind of on in the background because it's the plots are the plots are simultaneously overcomplicated and childishly simple so they don't really end up mattering in the long run because everything will get kind of summarized at the conclusion so i'm just sort of interested it's like how is this going to play out in the long run what does this all mean and i don't know i'm i'm just not sure how they could have bungled such an interesting premise and put it together with such a lame and annoying protagonist. Oh, wow, what a disaster. Uh, it is. It is exactly that. It is a mess. Well, unfortunately, that's the note we're going to have to end it on. So, uh, yeah, y'all, don't, don't pick up Tokyo Revengers. It's not, it's not going to get any better. Um, but uh, there are a bunch of other really neat shows that uh, people picked up this season, so I'm glad that we had, you know, some... Uh, some really good stuff, a few, you know, I don't know, know if I call them duds, but a few mixed bags. But all in all, this seemed like a pretty positive one, at least to me. I liked this season overall, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was all right. I'm, I just mostly needed a break, so good or not, I got my break. There you go. There you go, that's what matters. I'm going to see if next season's any good. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. Well, I think we'll be uh, signing off for now. Thanks for sticking with us, and uh, we will see you again for the fall season. Yeah. Yep, catch you next time. Bye. This is a podcast by the con artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game-related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.